Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher and here talking with my dad, Robert Robb, who's writing on Substack, robertrobb.substack.com. And uh, topic today, we're talking about the, uh, the ESA law, the now enacted uh, the referendum to try to challenge the universal ESA um, expansion that recently passed. Uh, has failed, so it is now the the law of the land. Uh, Seven thousand dollars per uh, per student uh, can be accessed to pay for private school, religious school, or other sort of private tutoring for for homeschooling. So we'll talk about uh, first the politics of it, and then the sort of the policy implications of it uh, going going forward. Uh, so first, the the politics of it. How do you think this will play out politically in 2022? The Wall Street Journal uh, seems to seem to think that this is a school choice election and that would help Carrie Lake, but you wrote that might might not be true. How do you see? Like maybe how does the average voter or maybe a, a swing voter might see this news and 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 react to it in terms of? how it's going to affect people going to the polls here pretty soon. Well, I, I'm a supporter of universal uh, vouchers, um, but I think contrary to the Wall Street Journal, it's impossible to say that um, support for them is a political advantage uh, for candidates. The last time the voters of Arizona considered a, an expansion uh, of private school vouchers, uh, it was overwhelmingly defeated. Um, I do believe that attitudes may have changed somewhat, um, uh, and, and there might be a more favorable climate. And if the referendum had succeeded, there would have been a far more forceful campaign on behalf of vouchers mounted than occurred uh, the last time it was on the ballot. But it, you simply can't say that this is uh, something that, that is known to be politically popular in Arizona that Republicans uh, can uh, coast on uh, to the uh, general election. I don't think it's going to play much of a role uh, in uh, this election cycle. I think a far more potent issue, and it falls to Democrats, uh, is the failure of the legislature uh, to pass the uh uh, relief uh, from the aggregate expenditure limit to enable the uh, district schools to spend the large amount of additional uh, resources that the legislature approved in the last session. Uh, if education, if there's going to be a big education issue that affects candidate races, uh, I think it will be that one and uh, it will favor the Democrats uh, because Republicans are in charge, and they've allocated all this money, but uh, haven't uh, given the districts uh, the green light that's necessary constitutionally um, for them to spend it. So it seems like the the advocates, the voucher advocates, and the Wall Street Journal seems to seems to think that the last couple of years have, have been kind of a sea change and, and parents, you know, they're looking at the, at the, at the pandemic, the curriculum, and they're just like, Oh my gosh, I need to get out of these public schools. Hallelujah. Here's a $7,000 option for me to, to, to make something, to, to do something else. Do you think that is, is, 
is what's happening or, or do you, or you see a more like kind of, uh, still like, you know, two years ago, four years ago, we would have said, Oh, people are concerned about funding, proper funding for public schools and teacher pay and proper resources. So do you, so do you think that's still a concern or, or do you, do you think there has been maybe some, some, some radical shift in the way parents and, and voters are, are approaching the very question of, of public education? I, I think there has been uh, a movement more strongly in the direction of uh, school choice. Uh, I think the district schools shutting down for so long during the pandemic uh, and the consequences for students and families um, from uh, switching to almost entirely online instruction um, has opened up uh, the eyes of many and and that there's now a more receptive political environment for school choice. <clears throat> Uh, but as you've pointed out um, many times in your Choya Express substack, um, Arizona already has robust school choice and charter schools for the most part uh, stayed open. Uh, so I think uh, while there is a movement there and I suspect there's a greater receptivity uh, to private school vouchers, uh, I think it would be an awful big leap without any evidence uh, to say that it's now a winning issue for Republican candidates uh, that public opinion has switched that much. I think it's moving in that direction. I don't think it's arrived at uh, that point yet. Yeah, a couple a couple of things have kind of bothered me about the just the discourse around that is 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 that point of saying, hey, we need this because uh, there was you know, all these schools shut down for a pandemic. Well, first of all, it was ordered to shut down by the state, you know, Governor Ducey and, and, and Democrat Kathy Hoffman, it was, it was a combined announcement to shut down schools for the first quarter. Yes. The, the, some schools stayed open longer and there was definitely COVID sort of like difference between conservatives and Democrats on, on, on that policy, but it was a statewide policy to shut down schools at, at first. Secondly, <laughs> this idea of like failing schools are failing, so we have to give them op. Schools are failing, kids are trapped in failing schools, and so we have to give them an option to to get out. Right? Well, it's like who <laughs> the public schools are under the control of the government, right? So it's like who's been in charge? The Republicans have been in charge and had the governorship and the and the state and, and control of the state legislature for the past eight years. So it's like if schools are failing, whose fault is that? And and there is there is options. There are options within the public school system right now. You can go to charter schools. Yeah, you know sometimes there's limitations on on wait lists or you know things like that. But it just to me it felt like you know we've we've uh, we've created this. To me it felt like we're kind of giving up on public schools. It's it's these public schools are are not working. Here, finally, there's an escape option. Now you can take some money and go to private schools rather than, hey, there's some issues that we need to reform in the public school system. And, and I think the reform has been sold uh, excessively in the terms that you described, uh, which does have a inferred or implied um, 
criticism of the public school system uh, when uh, in reality Arizona public school students have had the largest gains uh, among the largest gains in national standardized tests uh, of any state in the union uh, and doing so um, being substantially underfunded compared to the public schools in other states. For me, it's a uh, social justice, social equity uh, issue. If we are going to create a common pot of taxpayer money to educate children, uh, families who would prefer for their children to attend private schools or prefer to have religious instruction along with academic instruction, in my judgment, shouldn't be denied their fair share of that common pot. Um, the, there's, there's just no justification for it. Uh, and saying that that ought to be our policy as a matter of social justice and equity um, uh, doesn't imply uh, any criticism of, of uh, the public schools. Um, I do believe that concern about woke instruction in the public schools is driving part of this. Uh, and I simply don't know, you would know better than me, the extent to which that is um, a practice uh, that's in place in our public school system and in, in growing. But I think that that fueled the political momentum behind expanding our ch school choice options to include universal eligibility for private school vouchers. I would, I would bet that some of the wokest schools are some of the private schools, to be honest. Like, I don't, I don't think, why, why aren't the, why aren't, why aren't we mandate or why aren't we mandating the civics test at, at the private schools now? I mean, there's, if, if we've already, I understand the concerns. I understand the concerns about curriculum. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's an imaginary, imaginary concern. I, I think it's. I think it's. It's. It's politicized to the point of of being kind of ridiculous. But um, there is some legitimate concerns behind it. But <laughs> there's nothing. You know, all this money is going. All this money can be now be spent on on private schools. How do you know there's not woke stuff happening in the private schools. You don't, you don't know what they're teaching. Um, there's no, there's no, I, I just don't understand how you can say the, the public schools are failing. They're too woke. Now let's give parents money to direct where they're going to go anyways. Well, they were choosing the public schools before they could have gone to a different public school. They could have gone to a different uh, charter school. So, it's, so, so to me, parents and families are already going to the schools if they had a concern about the curriculum of the schools, they could have gone to a different school. There are plenty of charter schools and and district schools that you can go to that are teaching the kind of curriculum that you that you would want. So, well, your your um, your point about the civics test, I think, um, uh, brings to light what I see as a um, silver lining, even for. Uh, voucher opponents and skeptics uh, about the failure of the referendum. Uh, it is certainly true that there are no meaningful accountability or transparency requirements uh, for um, 
private schools that uh, receive taxpayer money um, through vouchers to uh, educate voucher students. Um, uh, but because this is now exclusively a legislative creation, um, those things can be added by a simple majority vote of the legislature. Uh, if the uh, referendum had taken place and voucher supporters happened to win, uh, then it would require a three-quarters vote of both chambers of the legislature to make any amendment uh, or reform to uh, the existing voucher law. And one could argue that any additional requirements on voucher schools uh, would uh, not further the purpose of the original law and couldn't be enacted by the legislature at all. Uh, I, I firmly believe uh, that uh, if taxpayers are paying part of the cost of a uh, private school education, uh, taxpayers have a legitimate interest in the quality of that education. My current position is that that can be satisfied uh, by subjecting voucher students uh, to the same state-mandated assessment tests that district and charter um, school students uh, take. Um, there are reasonable arguments for additional um, restrictions. If the state decides that uh, from a curricular matter uh, that uh, all students should uh, receive certain components of education, um, there's a reasonable argument to be made that uh, voucher students attending voucher schools uh, should be subject to that same requirement. At present, I wouldn't support going that far. Uh, I believe that the combination of the of voucher students taking the state assessment tests and parental choice provides sufficient accountability. But there's a legitimate argument to have that there. And unfortunately, because this thing was hastily passed at the last uh, minute uh, in the legislature, there were no thoughtful deliberative considerations of these kinds of issues. Uh, and I think it's a, an advantage, because I now think the program is probably permanent, uh, that these sorts of things can be discussed and debated, and if felt necessary or appropriate, adopted by a simple majority of the legislature. Yeah, and, and I think those are great points. I think I think there's it also I think brings into clarity the sort of uh, the shortcomings of the of the standardized test we currently have. I mean, there's a reason why these private schools, which I've I've written about, there's a reason why these private schools don't want to be taking these tests because they don't they don't want to do it. They don't think there's other ways that they use to evaluate whether their instruction is is effective. And I think I think this could also be an opportunity to just really take a hard look at our standardized tests and how how are used and how they could be how much time they take up, because no private school is going to want to implement these these tests in the in the in the way that they're done. The, the um, deconstruction that you made on one of your Choya Express Substack um, uh, posts uh, of um, a particular question uh, that's part of the test uh, and how any of the answers could be justified. 
uh, I thought was highly illuminating and, and would highly recommend it uh, to the listeners. Uh, I, 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 and, and, and I know, and I think you and I disagree a little bit on this, but I do believe in having um, assessment tests that all students take. Uh, but I think they should be stripped down to the basic skills uh, in reading comprehension uh, and uh, mathematics uh, and shouldn't take more than half a day. Um, and, yes, and they certainly I, shouldn't, shouldn't <clears throat> be as convoluted and questionable <laughs> as your deconstruction of one of the questions uh, illuminated. Yeah, the the the. And, and it's not a, the, the tests are not simple reading comprehension tests. Right. They're, they're like asking students to jump through hoops and all these complicated things. And it makes the, it makes the teaching really complicated. So you've got, you know, if you're a new, if you're a new English teacher, you're showing up to, to teach and it's like, you're not just teaching the books and the themes and the, and the vocab. You have to sort of train your students how to answer these weirdly worded questions <laughs> that are just, that are just frustrating. And, and then, and then that's, I think that's also demoralizing for the students as well, because it's like, what well, you know, first of all, it doesn't matter to them in terms of their grades. So if you're trying to motivate someone to take, to try on a test, you know, it's, it doesn't matter for them and, and they're weird and, and they're, and it's boring. So, so it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, you can you can criticize the public schools by talking about how low their scores are on these tests, but let's see, you know, let's see how these private schools do on these same exact tests, and and and, and see and see if they're see what their scores are because I don't I don't think they would be much better. Well, I, and I think that's not only justified, um, but it should be part of the school choice paradigm. Uh, if the state is going to be neutral as to whether parents choose a charter, a district, or a private school um, for their students, uh, then parents should have comparable data uh, for all the options. And uh, without uh, voucher students taking the same test as district and charter students, you don't have that comparable data. So to me, uh, what has been passed fails um, the school choice test uh, in that it does not provide comparable data for all potential options. That should be part I think of the I school choice <clears throat> paradigm. But do you really need the same data? Do you need, really need everyone to take the same tests? Because they're going to be, they're going to be, there's going to be disparities based on other things that's not directly related to the exactly to the quality of instruction. And then, and then that kind of limits the options for schools to say, Hey, we're, you know, just one example is, <clears throat> I know there's this Cambridge curriculum. It's like an international um, kind of kind of curriculum. I've, I've, I've looked at the history uh, section of it, and I would appreciate it having, I think it's a fair test. I think it's something that gives a teacher flexibility to sort of um, engage with certain topics and, and, and content areas in a lot of depth. And to have, there's like one project-based or like essay project combined with a um, sort of a written test that's, I think, fair. So so what if one school wants to implement the Cambridge curriculum, but then a different school, like a basis, they just want to do this AP test? 
do you do you still have let's say you have bases do his AP test, you have a different school doing a Cambridge curriculum. Do you still need the state then to come in and say, well, we still need you both to take this same basic test just to get a baseline of that you know how to read well or do you have reading comprehension or basic math skills? Um I think so. I I, I believe that there needs to be comparative data and you can only have the comparative data if everybody is taking the same test. Um, I know that we we have gone to a menu option at the higher uh, grades here in Arizona, uh, and, and I don't think it's the right thing to do. Now, part of the problem is that all the tests are too complicated, too comprehensive, rather than testing basic skills. Uh, and certainly if there was a basic skills test, the basis students would ace it uh, without uh, any question. Um, but um, I don't think that you set up a structure uh, for the basis, basis schools of the world uh, or provide them an exception to it. Uh, if it was stripped down to truly basic reading comprehension uh, and uh, mathematical uh, capabilities at the appropriate grade level, um, then it wouldn't take more than half a day, and the comparable data uh, would uh, give parents a tool uh, in making decisions. Uh, and um, certainly there are contexts for what those results are. And I think in addition to measuring where people are on an absolute basis, uh, that there should also be a measurement of yearly growth um, so that uh, schools that take on the challenge of uh, educating students that are further behind and don't have the same support uh, at home that some other students have uh, would uh, have a measurement that would show how they're doing with that population. So I think you have those two data points. You have what the absolute score is for the students in aggregate and you have how much yearly gain uh, the schools are producing uh, for that cadre of students. Um, and, and yes, I, I believe that the only way that you can have comparative data is everybody takes the same test. And, and I believe that uh, for investing billions of dollars in an education system, that we should have some kind of meaningful measurement of whether students are learning what they need to learn. And those basic skills are the keys that unlock all other learning. That's why I would be uh, willing to limit the test to uh, those basic skills. How do you see this playing out, assuming that no major policy changes are going to come out of this next legislature, which we'll see who ends up uh, winning these elections, but just from the, what the policy is now, how do you see it playing out? We've seen some reports that the uh, most of the applications for these have been uh, uh, people that have not been in the public school system yet. So, so it's not like we haven't seen a lot of evidence that people are moving out of the public school system and, and switching to private school um, vouchers. Um, and then the criticism is that we're, they're just rich people that are already paying, that they can already pay, and then they're just getting a subsidy. Um, so do you think do you think that is going to be the trend, or do you think that you're going to see 
new and different options showing up in the you know lower income areas uh, over time? How do you see it playing out? Um, I do not believe that there's a large pent up demand for private school education in Arizona uh, in significant part because of the robust uh, charter school system that we have. Uh, there are um, options that require no additional uh, contribution from parents um, and a wide diversity of them. And there's a wide diversity of charter schools in uh, low income areas. So I don't see a large pent up demand. Uh, it is uh, so I do believe that it's back to what I said is the rationale for the policy, which is social justice and equity for the parents who are choosing or want to choose to send their kids to private schools. Most of them are religiously based. So it's mostly parents uh, who want their children to have religious instruction in conjunction with the academic instruction. Uh, and while um, they may now be paying for that school and so that they they have shown that they can afford it, uh, oftentimes it comes at a large sacrifice. Uh, and I think it's just unfair to not allow those parents to have uh, access to some portion of the common pot that we raised to uh, educate children. Um, and I believe that's primarily what we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see a large exodus from the public schools to private schools. It's going to be mostly parents who want religious education in conjunction with the academic education, uh, which is why the, the argument that it's taking money away from uh, the public schools, uh, it, for the most part, isn't true. That only happens if you have students who otherwise would be in public school who make the transfer. Uh, otherwise, uh, there is no economic effect from the vouchers on the funding that's available for the public schools under our school finance formula. And so we'll we'll see what so you don't think there's gonna be an explosion? Last question here on this, and we'll we'll wrap it up. You don't think there's gonna be like an explosion of like entrepreneur, like super different kinds of designs and way of way of uh, I educating. Yeah, I I, I don't. And, and and voucher opponents raise the prospect of kook schools that that no the what kook schools that no one would want to see taxpayer money go. go oh, to. okay. Okay. Uh, like, like TPUSA schools. Yeah. I, I, something like that. You, you, there, there's a lot of fixed costs in running a school. And so you got to get a lot of students, uh, in order to uh, make ends meet. Uh, and, and I just don't think, um, there's going to be, um, that number of parents who are going to want to go for that kind of option for an untested, um, experimental school or a kook school. Um, if, if experience proves me wrong and, and we do see those sorts of things, then it raises the question of whether the state should have some kind of credentialing process uh, in order for a school to be eligible to enroll uh, voucher students. I think for the most part, what we're going to see is financial relief 
uh, for parents who are currently sacrificing uh, to send their kids uh, to private religious schools uh, and most all other effects uh, will be small and marginal. But one of the things that's good about this not being voter protected is if I'm wrong and there are problems that arise, the legislature can address them by a simple majority without any restrictions uh, about whether it furthers the intent. All right. Um, well, we'll keep following your writing on Substack, robertrob.substack.com, see the latest uh, opinions, developments on these on these vouchers and other other things going on in politics. I will um, I'll post some links on the show notes to some of the uh, some of the pieces that uh, some of the posts that we've been that we've been talking about here. So if you haven't read them yet, you can can click and, and read and 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 subscribe to Substack. There's also a, a Android app that is now available on, on Substack. So there's uh, if you do read Substacks. Um, you can get it on. You can get an app or a reader on your uh, on your cell phone um, or on your uh, on your laptop. So, thanks for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, um, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks. <laughs>